Welcome to RLA Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Joining me on today's program will be Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff. Professor Kotlikoff, uh, that name may ring a bell to you, served on the Council of Economic Advisors under Presidents Reagan and Clinton. He is a prolific author, and uh, he is a social security expert. He uh, wrote a book that was a runaway New York Times bestseller about how to maximize your benefits from social security. The book is titled Get What's Yours, and I'll be talking to Professor Kotlikoff about how to maximize Social Security benefits under the new rules. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. In this segment, though, I want to talk about an item that is becoming a hot political topic. Now, as longtime listeners of the program know, I don't often talk politics on the program, and I'm not going to talk politics today in the sense that I'm not going to take a side. I am just going to present to you some facts, and I'm going to point out to you how I believe many of the efforts of aspiring politicians are somewhat misguided, which, incidentally, is nothing new when it comes to political behavior. Now, a recent CNBC article reported that the average American has over $6,500 in credit card debt. The same article said that 23% of those surveyed said that necessities like food, utilities, and rent are adding to their credit card balances most, and another 12% said that medical bills were the biggest contributor to their unpaid credit card tab. Now, there is a book written by Alyssa Quart that was just released, and it's titled Squeezed, Why Our Families Can't Afford America, And she concludes there's a simple reason for that. Wages have not kept pace with the cost of day-to-day living expenses. Now, Quart concludes that middle-class life is now 30% more expensive than it was 20 years ago. College costs, housing costs, childcare expenses are all going up much faster than wages are going up. Taking the cost of public universities, for example, the cost of tuition at a public university doubled over the 20-year time frame from 1996 to 2016, and housing prices in a lot of popular metropolitan areas quadrupled during that same time frame. Now, as a result, there are a lot of Americans that have taken on extra work to make ends meet. 40% of all Americans now hold some kind of second job. And among millennials, the rate is even higher. Over half of all millennials have some kind of side hustle. Now, when you look at these statistics, Americans born in the 1940s had a 92% chance of making more money than their parents. Millennials born in the 1980s have only about a 50% chance of doing the same thing. And of course, the millennials also don't have as many employer safety nets as perhaps their parents did. Defined benefit pension plans, the kind of pension that pays you a monthly benefit at retirement, has gone the way of a dinosaur. It is nearly extinct. And if you want more evidence validating the assumption that many Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, you just need to look at the explosion of the payday loan business. If you're not familiar with the payday loan business, a payday loan is simply a cash advance against a paycheck that you expect to receive within a couple weeks. Now, 
if you take a look at the explosion of this business, there are now almost double the number of payday loan businesses in the United States as there are McDonald's restaurants. There are 23,417 payday loan centers compared to 12,401 McDonald's restaurants. So the middle class is definitely being squeezed. Now, why is this? Well, Fortune magazine recently published an article that I thought was very telling. And I'm going to give you just a bit from that article. Income inequality in America has worsened in recent decades. Many on the left, supported by not an insignificant number of those on the right, have argued for an increasingly progressive income tax code to tackle this problem. But they're focusing on the wrong solution. Instead, the target ought to be the Federal Reserve. The Fed's ceaseless quantitative easing programs and obstinate commitment to unnaturally low interest rates in the years following the 2008 financial crisis have had the unintended effects of both incentivizing reckless deficit-driven spending from Congress and exacerbating income and wealth inequality in the private sector. See, low interest rates and quantitative easing programs help the really wealthy because they artificially juice asset values, especially for investments that are generally considered to be riskier. Low interest rates also allow for cheap credit and leverage, and the mega-wealthy can take advantage of the record highs in the stock market, while the working class with fewer assets experience largely stagnant wages when adjusted for inflation. That helps to explain the increasing levels of credit card debt that I mentioned at the opening of this segment. Now, I'll give you a bit more from this Fortune article. The Fed should learn from its post-2008 trigger happiness in order to better respond to future crises. While it is true that former Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke once cited Milton Friedman's scholarship on the Fed's insufficiently robust reaction to the onset of the Great Depression, it's also true that one round of quantitative easing after 2008 would have been more than enough. The recession was over by summer 2009, and if anything, subsequent rounds of quantitative easing, that really means money creation, not only metastasized income inequality, but it also misallocated capital and abetted reckless politicians via excessive deficit spending. So the question is, how do you address the problem? Well, the Fortune article, which is an excellent, excellent article authored by Josh Hammer, says this. Politicians on both sides of the aisle ought to seek to rein in the Fed and get greater transparency of its deliberations, methodologies, and decision-making processes. The Fed is a group of bankers, and we have bankers setting rates for the entire economy. And Mr. Hammer argues that this values central planning over letting market forces determine proper interest rates. At a minimum, Mr. Hammer writes, our lawmakers can seek to audit the Fed's internal workings and to legislatively modify its traditional dual mandate of price stability and maximum employment. 
Instead, they should have a single mandate of price stability. See, the Fed is a private group of bankers, and back in 1913, Congress and then President Woodrow Wilson thought it would be a good idea to put private bankers in charge of monetary policy. So the reason that we have this wealth gap that's that's exploding in the United States is because the easy money policies tend to benefit those who are wealthy, and I would put bankers in that category. Now, certainly, getting our central bank under control would be a natural place to start. I have had advocates on the program, and I would join their advocacy in ending the Fed. Um, But another thing that you can do is look at how you can get more money out of your retirement, out of your nest egg. And to that end, this week, I'm offering a free report on IRA tax reduction strategies. All you have to do to get your copy of the report is go to rescueyourretirement.com. Rescueyourretirement.com. Just let us know where to mail the report, and we'll be glad to do that free of charge. I'll be back with Professor Kotlikoff after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff. Professor Kotlikoff is a returning guest here on the program. He is a professor of economics at Boston University. He is a prolific author. He has written 19 books and hundreds of professional articles and op-eds. He is a New York Times bestselling author. You probably have seen Professor Kotlikoff on TV and radio. Uh, His columns have appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, the Boston Globe, Bloomberg, Forbes, and many other publications that are really too numerous to mention. And The Economist magazine named him as one of the world's top most influential economists. Uh, He has the New York Times bestselling book, Get What's Yours, that's all about maximizing your Social Security benefits. We're going to talk to Professor Kotlikoff about that today. And uh, he also has a couple of websites you might want to check out, MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. I can tell you that's where I go to uh, help people figure out the best way to maximize their Social Security. The other website you might want to check out is Maxify.com. That's M-A-X-I-F-I.com. And that's got a full financial planning software uh, package with the Social Security maximization built in. So that said, Professor Kotlikoff, welcome back to the program. Uh, Great to be back with you, Dennis. Appreciate it. Let me start by just talking, uh, have you talk a bit about some of the recent changes when it comes to maximizing Social Security, in particular, the changes that were made as far as being able to file a restricted application and collect spousal benefits. That's an opportunity that uh, is fading quickly. Uh, Yeah, the... uh the 2015 Social Security amendments uh, changed the law pretty radically with respect to getting free spousal benefits. So uh, the people that are uh, still able to do this are people that are uh, were born uh, before January 1st, 20, uh, 1954. So that's the key date, uh, January 1st, 1954. If you were born before that, you can... Uh, 
and you reach full retirement age having not taken your own retirement benefit. So you're born between before February 1st, uh, 1954, and you reach full retirement benefit, uh, age, which is currently around 66, and you have not yet taken your own retirement benefit. Then what you're free to do is, uh, and if you're, sorry, one other condition, if your spouse is taking their retirement benefit or if you have a uh, ex-spouse to whom you were married for 10 or more years and, they're, and uh, uh, in, in either of those cases, your spouse is collecting their retirement benefit or you have an ex-spouse to whom you were married for 10 or more years and uh, they're at least age 62 and you were, you've been, uh, or they're collecting and, you, or you, and you've been uh, divorced for at least a couple of years. So there's a couple extra conditions about ex-spouses. But anyway, the basic story is if you're born in, uh, born in time and uh, you didn't take your retirement benefit early and here you are uh, 66 or so and you uh, have a, a spouse or an ex-spouse uh, on whose record you can collect, uh, well, then you can collect just your spouse's benefit and you can do it for four years and then you can wait till 70 to take your own retirement benefit. So for somebody who might be a pretty, you know, a decent earner, middle class earner, uh, being able to collect a spousal benefit on their current spouse or their former spouse, uh, it's just extra money. So it could be, you know, as much as $60,000 for, uh, depending on the circumstances that you can pick up for free. And I literally just helped uh, an economist friend of mine who knew nothing about Social Security and his wife is 66 and he's 72. He's collecting a Social Security benefit. I just made them about $60,000 and uh, they took me and my wife to, to dinner the other night. So there are probably about three or four million people who can still do this right now. So, uh, so if uh, you know anybody, if you're in that boat or you know anybody who's likely to be in that boat, they should get a hold of our program, MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com or this Maxify, uh, M-A-X-I-F-I.com tool. And uh, run themselves through it, and they can see right away within a few seconds if they can get a bonanza for free. Larry, let me jump uh, ahead a minute, because if you were born after January 1 of 1954, you're unable to file this restricted application. You're unable to collect spousal benefits. Does that mean there's really no maximization strategies that those people can use, or what's available for them? Uh, no, it's the the big uh, aspect of maximization here is uh, thinking about being patient, and the uh, in in lots of cases, maybe seventy five percent of the cases, uh, you want to wait till you're seventy to start collecting your retirement benefit because it's going to be dramatically higher. Your lifetime benefits will be dramatically higher if you do that. So the programs, uh, this basic maximize my social security, um, dot com tool is only $40. It can tell you uh, precisely the advantage in terms of your lifetime benefits of being patient. So the big money on the table here is not really about spouse benefits. It never was. The big money is has always been about uh, being able to collect a uh, benefit that's uh, relative to taking your benefit at the earliest possible date, which would be age 62, your benefit, if you started at age 70, your own retirement benefit I'm talking about, will be uh, uh, about 76% higher adjusted for inflation. So there's an enormous return that Social Security has uh, provided us 
uh, to being patient in terms of when we collect our Social Security retirement benefit. And you need to understand what it is that you're giving up if you take your benefits early. But again, for some households, it might be about a quarter. Uh, even if you're, you know, older than you know that key date in the sense that you're born beyond uh, January 1st, 1954, uh, it, it may not be best for you to wait. For example, you might have a child who's disabled, and for that child to get uh, child disabled child benefits, you may have to take your you'll, you'll have to take your retirement benefit, uh, or you may. Let's say you're currently 62 and you've got a spouse at 66. You ha may have to take your retirement benefit now in order to get that other spouse a free spousal benefit starting right now because that other spouse actually di did meet the um, – was born early enough to be grandfathered under the old law. So there's lots of different cases. Everybody's different. And uh, what's optimal for one household is not the same as another in general. But seeing the value of being patient, uh, and the, what the program what the programs do is they say, all right, you tell us what you'd like to do, we'll tell you what we'd like you to do, and you get to see, as you know, because you run it, Dennis, the program, you get to see the difference, and it can be lots and lots of money, uh, and and so yeah, the optimization of, of Social Security is still very much on the table, despite the fact that the people that are being grandfathered are getting fewer and fewer. You know, Professor, when you when you talk to people about when they're going to collect Social Security, there is this, I don't know if it's common knowledge, but it's, it's certainly a statement that, that we hear a lot. People approaching age 62 say, I just want to take it as soon as I can get it, uh, just because I'm not sure how long it's going to be there. What, what would your response be to somebody who has that mindset or perspective? I, I think they'll both sooner default on the government's debt than and cut benefits for current beneficiaries. So we're near people that are close to getting their Social Security benefits. I think that's instant political death for any politician. Uh, half of the official government debt is being held by foreigners. We have about a year's GDP being held in official debt by Americans and foreigners, half of which, you know, about $11 trillion is held by foreigners. So they could default on the official debt held by foreigners if, um, if it came to it. Before they had to, uh, uh, that's $11 trillion that would, you know, shore up Social Security significantly for a while. I just don't see any political scenario in which Social Security benefits are cut for uh, people that are, are already receiving their checks or, or are within, let's say, if 10 years of, of starting to collect their checks. But uh, I'm not a political, you know, guru either. So. Well, let me ask you this. If, if you're 62 years old and you're, you're facing the decision of, of when do I collect Social Security, let's just say it's a 62-year-old couple, uh, you often hear people use the term break-even point. Like at what point, uh, you know, how old do I have to live to have it make sense for me to collect at age 70 versus age 62, which is just one way to look at it. But, 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 but what's a typical time frame in your view? Well, this is the most important reason for buying our software, which is to uh, let you see how an economist would value your your lifetime benefits under different strategy, strategies of um, when to collect, when you're going to collect, because the break-even concept is, uh, is used by uh, 
by financial companies who are trying to have you get your induce you to take your benefits early so they can give get you to give them more money to manage and charge you more fees the um, the basic story here is that uh, we we only have one life to live and one age at which we're going to die so we can't kind of play the odds and think about uh, uh, you know, if we break even 20 years from now by being patient, well, that means uh, I'm now going to look at my life expectancy and compare my life expectancy with the break-even date and make a decision based on that. But that's all. Life expectancy is an actuarial calculation. What am what I'm going to die on average? You're not going to die on average at all. You're certainly not going to die on your life expectancy exactly at your life expectancy. Uh, you're going to die randomly, and you're just going to die once. And it could, you have to look at the worst case scenario, just like we look at the worst case scenario when it comes to other risks, uh, like getting cancer and very expensive health, health uh, care bill, or totaling the car, or our house burning down. down. We always look at the catastrophic uh, problem, uh, the, law, the catastrophic loss. The catastrophic loss in the context of um, Social Security and longevity risk is that you live to 100 that you live to your maximum age of life. And you want to insure yourself uh, to the extent possible against the catastrophic risk that you have to keep paying for yourself right up through age 100. So we might think of living a very long, uh, dying early as a big risk, but it's actually financially a big salvation because the bills stop. The real risk is living, financially speaking. So we don't want to be playing the averages that we're going to die on at our life expectancy. We're not. We have to worry about the worst case scenario, and therefore we have to value the benefits that Social Security is providing us right up to our maximum age of life because that's the catastrophic. We value our health, our homeowners insurance for the, you know, for the um, worst case scenario, which is the house burns down, and that's why it has value to us. The policy, if we said, uh, well, gee, on average, I'm not going to break even from this policy, nobody would ever buy homeowners insurance. So break-even is just not the right way to think about this because it's connected to the idea of each person having multiple uh, ages at which they might die, but that's not the case. An insurance company that is insuring uh, tens of thousands of people can play the odds, can play the averages, but not any one individual. So we can't think about break-even in this context, just like we can't do it in homeowner's insurance or car insurance or health insurance. We have to look at the worst case. The worst case is, uh, is uh, you have to value the benefits right up to your maximum age of life. And, uh, and that's what our software does. And that's what the other software programs out there do not do. And they basically get it wrong because they're trying to produce results that are what the financial planning or planners would like them to produce, which is something that tells people to take the benefits earlier than they should. And that gets them to um, have more money to provide the financial planners to invest. Well, our timing there is perfect. Uh, we will have Professor Kotlikoff back for the next segment. Uh, as I close this one, let me remind you that uh, the software uh, program information is available at MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com as well as Maxify.com. And I would encourage you to get Professor Kotlikoff's book titled Get What's Yours. I'll be back after these words. 
Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting today with Mr. Lawrence Kotlikoff. Uh, uh, Dr. Kotlikoff is a professor of economics at Boston University. He is a prolific author. Uh, he's written 19 books, hundreds of articles, and has appeared on uh, television and radio uh, more times than we can mention. And we're chatting with him today in the first segment about Social Security. If you're just joining us, there's a couple software programs you should check out. One is MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. The other is Maxify.com. And Professor Kotlikoff's runaway New York Times bestseller, Get What Yours, is all about how to maximize your benefits from Social Security. So let's talk, Larry, a little bit about the solvency of Social Security, because uh, certainly when you take a look at the underfunding levels of, of Social Security, and I know you've uh, done a lot of work as far as the fiscal gap of the United States is concerned, and if we have time, we'll get to that. But let's just focus on Social Security for a moment, if we could, please. Um, what do you see in the future as some potential solutions to bringing Social Security back into solvency, and how might some of our listeners be affected? The future for Social Security looks very, very bleak. The latest trustees report shows they've got a $43 trillion unfunded liability. So people uh, have no idea in this country what kind of uh, shape Social Security is in. It's just in terrible shape. It's, it's uh, short money that um, corresponds to about two years of GDP for the country. Uh, and that's uh, in Table 6F1 in the Trustees Report. So if you Google Social Security Trustees Report 2019 you'll and go to Table 6F1, you'll see what's called the Infinite Horizon Liability uh, and uh, it's 40, uh, 30, yeah, it's 43 trillion dollars. So, what all this means is that Social Security's dead broke, and it's not dead broke in 30 years. It's not that we owe the 43 trillion 30 years from now. We owe the 43 trillion today. We're, so, the longer we wait, that number is just going to get bigger. It's going to grow with interest, and that's. Um, uh, that's an enormous problem for uh, the system and for the country, uh, the country's finances in general. How's that going to resol get resolved? So, uh, one way it can get resolved is to have a four cent on the dollar tax hike starting immediately. Uh, so, the payroll taxes we're now paying are we're paying up to about $139,000. We're paying uh, something like uh, well, we pay for Social Security 12.4% of our every dollar earned up through about 139000 uh, What I'm talking about here is that tax rate rising from 124 to to 16.4% starting immediately. If we don't increase the tax rate uh, right away, it's going to have to go up even more in the future. So... That means that we're putting more of a burden on our kids. It's already bad enough we have we take a, like a 20-year-old and say, look, the rest of your life you're going to have to pay four cents more out of every dollar you earn and get nothing back at all in exchange for that uh, versus telling them in 10 or 15 years you, we're going to have to make it six cents on the dollar. So there's an issue of generational equity here and fairness, uh, but we have no politician, not the president, not any of the members of the, not any of the Democrats running for president who are mentioning Social Security, that Social Security is absolutely broke. 
So, Professor Kotlikoff, if uh, you take a look at, and I think, uh, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you wrote about this in your book, The Clash of Generations. Uh, if you add not only the unfunded liabilities of Social Security, but Medicare and Medicaid, all their federal programs, can you talk a bit about the fiscal gap of the United States? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because I, I don't want to depress you and your listeners uh, uh, too much, but the fiscal gap is the same kind of calculation that Social Security's trustees are just doing for Social Security, which is uh, you take all the projected out, outlays that the government's going to be doing and you subtract all the projected uh, tax receipts. And then you also subtract off any official debt that you that the country owes, which is around $22 trillion right now. So the fiscal gap, uh, as I've just recently calculated based on the uh, Congressional Budget Office's projections, of annual outlays and annual uh, tax receipts and off into the future is that our fiscal gap is about $139 trillion large. Now, this is about 10 years of GDP, over 10 years of GDP. So uh, it's not just that Social Security is broke. It's that the rest of the fiscal system is in far worse shape than Social Security. So the entire country is like out to lunch when it comes to our fiscal policy. We have all these liabilities that have been put off the books that uh, nobody in Congress is uh, forced to pay attention to because they're very adept at hiding the, uh, you know, they put them off the books so that nobody will raise this as a problem. Uh, uh, you know, so that's how they avoid having the discussion. That's how the presidential candidates uh, don't have to deal with uh, it during a debate because it's not uh, calculated by anybody has the true debt of the country. The fiscal gap is not being calculated by the Congressional Budget Office, the Office of Management and Budget, the General Accountability Office. I'm the only person, I think, in the country. Well, there's a couple other economists, Alan Auerbach at, at Berkeley and Bill Gale at the Brookings Institution, who are focused every year on calculating the fiscal gap and making it clear to the public this um, what's going on. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think the country is in worse fiscal shape than any developed country in the world. I think uh, we are heading the way of Argentina, and it's just a matter of time uh, that, uh, and we're seeing signs of this, Dennis. You uh, ask, well, obviously interest rates are low, so people don't get the fact that we're in such terrible shape. Bond traders don't get it, but bond traders aren't going to get, you know, the reason that stock markets and, and bond markets move dramatically from one day to the next, one minute to the next, is that somebody doesn't get the truth uh, before it actually hits them over the head with a with a two by four. And that's the case uh, for people on Wall Street. They're not all that, uh, they're really trading on what other people are tra thinking. But the, the reality is that we are broke and you see this in the, in, in, uh, you know, in the sense that we cannot uh, pass legislation to expand uh, infrastructure expenditures. We can't fix uh, uh, the bridges and the roads and the trains. We can't uh, provide a decent education to our kids. We don't have the money for that. We, we have um, no money to to f properly fund this National Science Foundation. Everywhere uh, the government's cutting back, except in certain areas like defense spending, where they're expanding. And, uh, and there's no effort at all even to discuss fixing Social Security because the country's broke. It's not 
happening by accident, that we are not doing things that other countries are doing. It's because we cannot afford it. Okay. And we're just not talking uh, openly about how broke we are and, and any kind of a game plan for getting a solution here. So, Professor, what's the end game? I mean, I, you know, there's a, I guess, common sense would dictate that when, when debt, or in this case, maybe debt and unfunded liabilities are too large to be paid, they won't be paid. There will have to be cuts at some point, or there'll have to be some kind of a reset at some point, it seems to me. What's your take, given our current policies, given our current trajectory, to use that term, as to what the end game might be? Well, I think what's going to happen is that we're going to do what other countries have done. Uh, and I mentioned Argentina because I think we're in that kind of a boat. Argentina at the beginning of the last century was the fifth highest per capita GDP country in the world. It was super rich. Uh, it took about 100 years for the politicians to destroy that economy to the point where it's now a developing country, not a developed country. So it went from being a developed to, an un to a developing country through total uh, fiscal mismanagement. So what's going to happen in our country is that uh, through time, the government is going to be printing, running bigger and bigger official deficits, like we're seeing now, 5% of GDP deficits in a time when we've got full employment. It's outrageous that we're running these official deficits that are this large. It's going to be over a trillion dollars next year, I believe. Uh, that's just crazy. Uh, the... Uh, so what's the government going to do? Uh, well, as interest rates start to rise, as this debt piles up and the financial markets start getting finally get, start getting nervous about the amount of government U.S. government debt, interest rates will rise, and then the Fed will start printing money to try and lower the interest rates. So what I'm getting to is that governments that run out of money start printing money. They start making money. Uh, they make money by making it, by literally printing it. And that's what our government will be doing. And this will produce more inflation. And then ultimately, we'll start having periodic crises uh, and fiscal crises, uh, inflation crises. Eventually, somebody will get elected and explain to the public that the country's broke. And at that point, we're going to have to have massive tax hikes, massive spending cuts, and do enormous damage to our kids and to older people who are you know, I mean, are there scenarios in which uh, even Social Security Medicare benefits would be dramatically cut? There are if we get that extreme. I don't see anything happening in the next, you know, 10, 20 years, but we're on a path. We've got uh, the equivalent of a slowly, slowly growing cancer in this country. It's a fiscal cancer. And every few years, uh, the, the doctors, members of Congress, uh, operate on a small part of it. They remove a small part of it. They come back and look at it 10 years later. It's much bigger than when I <clears throat> operated before. Eventually, it's going to kill the organs of the country. And we're going to end up like Argentina as a third world country. Uh, you know, not, not where we want to be, not where we want our kids to be. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, Dennis, but a couple of years ago when we had the last election, presidential election, I ran for president because I saw the magnitude of this problem. I ran as a writing candidate. I was registered around the country. It took a lot of time and effort and some money to do that. I thought maybe the press would pick up on my candidacy. But anyway, I did that. I wrote down a policy uh, book for how to, a platform book for how to fix the country. And if people want to go to my website, which is kotlikoff.net and look for 
uh, a book called um, "Your Hired uh, Trump's A Trump Playbook for Fixing America's Economy." I I wrote this the the week after he I put this out the week after he was elected. I said, "Look, new president, the country's broke. Here he needs some guidance from economists as to what to to do." Here's this book uh, that's free for, on my website. You can just download it. So if anybody's interested in what I would do if I were president, uh, they can go go and see exactly by going to read that book. Uh, you're, you're hired. It's not you're fired, but you're hired. And that website, again, is kotlikoff.net. That's K-O-T-L-I-K-O-F-F.net. Uh, the other websites that you might want to check out, uh, MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com, where there's some terrific Social Security maximization software that I use. And then there's also Maxify.com. And Professor Kotlikoff's book, is get what's yours. It's all about how to maximize your benefits under Social Security. That's all the time we have for today, but uh, Professor, we'd love to have you back again sometime. I'd love to talk uh, some more. Thank Sounds so great. Yeah. We will return after these words. I'm your host, Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. Hope you enjoyed my conversation that was recorded this past week with Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff. You know, I want to draw your attention to uh, a new book that I am releasing this week. It'll be available on Tuesday, the 18th. It'll be available on Amazon starting at 7 p.m. And uh, we have an introductory special on the book. You can visit Amazon.com uh, Tuesday night beginning at 7 p.m. And you can look for the little black book on maximizing Social Security. Uh, that book is available. The Kindle version will be available on Tuesday night for just 99 cents. There's also a good deal on the print version of the book. So if you would like to get the book when it comes out, Tuesday at 7 p.m., the book will be released Little Black Book on Maximizing Social Security is the name of the book, and you can go to Amazon, which is where you buy all your books today, isn't it? And you can uh, pick up a copy, again, starting Tuesday night at 7 p.m., and uh, Tuesday night, there will be a Kindle version available of the book for less than a buck. You know, in the first segment of today's program, I talked quite a bit about the Federal Reserve and the opinion that many of us share that the Federal Reserve and their easy money policies and unnaturally low interest rates over the past decade has really contributed largely to the wealth gap that we see. And now the Federal Reserve is about to head down that same road again. This past week, there was a Market Watch article that talked about the fact that the Fed is now talking about putting in place more easy money policies after saying they wouldn't just last fall. How quickly things change. Here is a bit from the article. The grand central bank experiment of the past 10 years has ended in utter and complete failure. The games of cheap money and constant intervention that have brought you record global debt to the tune of $250 trillion and record wealth inequality are about to embark on a new round of peddling blue meth again. Australia has already cut interest rates. So has India. 
The European Central Bank, or the ECB, is talking about it, and the markets are already pricing in multiple Federal Reserve cuts. The new global rate-cutting cycle begins anew before the last one ever ended. Brace yourselves as no one, absolutely no one, can know how this will turn out. We are witnessing an historic unraveling here. Everything every central banker has uttered last year was completely wrong. Every every projection they made over the past 10 years has been wrong. No wonder Fed boss Jay Powell wants to toss the dot plot. It's a public record of failure. Why place confidence in people who are staring at the ruins of the policies they unleashed on the world and are about to unleash again. All the distortions of 10 years of cheap money, debt, wealth, inequality, zombie companies, negative debt, and you name it, will further be exacerbated by hapless and scared central bankers whose only solution to this failure is to embark on the same cheap money train again all under the banner to extend the business cycle at all costs. I'll put that another way. Extend the boom at all costs. Now, easy money and easy credit feed asset bubbles. History teaches us that. And while no one with any reasonable degree of accuracy can predict when a bubble will burst, it's easy to conclude that money policies, these easy money policies create bubbles and bubbles eventually burst. Now, if you look at the more recent track record of the Fed, after the Asian crisis in the late 90s, the Fed reduced interest rates, and when you reduce interest rates, money is created, as long as money is moving. That policy of reducing interest rates eventually resulted in the bursting of the tech bubble. After the tech stock bubble burst, The Fed reduced interest rates to less than 1%. What was the result? Another stock market bubble and a real estate bubble, and both ultimately burst. Now, after printing money via quantitative easing and beginning to walk down a path of tightening, the Fed is once again ready to pursue easy money policies. Now this we predict, will ultimately lead to another bubble bursting. Now, the timing of the bust, the timing of this bubble bursting, if you will, is very difficult to predict, but common sense dictates that if a bust outcome occurred when easy money policies have been pursued previously, it's going to produce the same outcome again. So the question is, are you ready? Well, there's a couple of enemies that you have, potential enemies, I should say, when planning for a comfortable, secure, stress-free retirement. One, it's the bust of which I just spoke. See, we are forecasting that over the next near-term time frame, and that near-term time frame is difficult to define, We could see traditional asset classes like stocks and bonds both produce negative returns. Stocks lose money in a bust because stocks usually are among the first asset classes to fail. Bonds typically 
lose money when interest rates go up. And while the Fed is going to start dropping interest rates, that can't go on forever either. So the question is, are you hedged? Are you ready? If you have only traditional asset classes in your portfolio, it's our view that you should learn more. That's why we have resources available at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. You can go to the website and check it out. The second thing you can do is look to reduce the taxes that you'll pay on your retirement accounts during your lifetime. Now, there are opportunities to save money in taxes after the new tax package, and we have a report we're offering today. It's a report that will teach you how to potentially reduce taxes on your retirement account. You can get a free copy by visiting reduce or excuse me, rescueyourretirementreport.com. The website again, rescueyourretirementreport.com. That's all I have for this week. Tune in again next week. 